This evening we'll be looking uh, primarily at Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, as we continue to investigate what the Scripture has to say concerning the death of death and the death of Christ. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, again we come to you through your word, asking that you would open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our souls to understand your word, that the Holy Spirit might illuminate to our understanding and to our faith what you have written here. We pray that the Apostles' words might be clear to us and be made more clear as we study the Scriptures and as we contemplate and adore the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We have been talking over the past weeks about the various views concerning the blood of Jesus Christ to what it was purposed, what it accomplished, but primarily for whom it was shed. There is agreement by all involved within evangelicalism, at least, that the shed blood of Jesus was and is of infinite worth and precious. You will not hear the Arminian speak disparagingly of the blood of Jesus Christ. You will not hear the Calvinists diminish in any way the worth, the value, the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. On that point, the two sides are agreed that it is blood as, as, as of a lamb unblemished and without spot. The difference comes in when we begin to think about what that blood accomplished. The Arminian credits the blood of Jesus Christ with the power to wipe away almost all of the sins of each and every person ever born or to be born. That the blood of Jesus Christ opens the possibility of salvation, which is then experienced by the sinner upon the condition of his or her faith. The Calvinist, on the other hand, believes that the blood of Christ is sufficient and of sufficient power to completely cleanse and save from all sin those for whom it was shed. To the one, the blood of Jesus Christ makes salvation possible. To the other, the blood of Jesus Christ saves. That is a significant difference. Our discussion thus far and the argument as we have loosely followed John Owen's The Death of Death and the Death of Christ leads us to the conclusion that the blood of Christ was fully effective to accomplish all that it was intended to accomplish by the Father. In other words, Jesus' blood was not shed by accident. 
It was not a tragedy, but rather it was according to the will of God. Peter says in his first sermon that the death of Christ, which came by the hands of ungodly men, the Jews and the Romans in Jerusalem, was by the foreordained counsel and knowledge of God. And so we hold that the blood of Christ accomplished fully and effectively that for which it was intended. And it is our interest in investigating the Scriptures to determine what in fact was intended. What did the Father plan? What did He purpose? For that is what the Son accomplished. And there are many representations in the New Testament especially, but as well either by explicit statement or by types and shadows in the Old Testament as to God's purpose in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We read, for example, that it was a ransom. We read that it was a purchase, that we have been purchased not with gold or silver, but with blood, and that the precious blood of a lamb, spotless and without blemish. We read that the blood of Christ was a satisfaction. And also the word that we read even in this passage here, redemption. In verse 24, being justified by, as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. But we're going to look at two words this evening that are not in the list that I've just named, but added to it in Scripture. Propitiation. And that's the... $25 word we read here in verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood. And I think it's important that the mention of the blood is named right there with regard to propitiation. And the second word, reconciliation. Two of the many things that are said in Scripture regarding the blood and the death of Jesus Christ as being the purpose of God and the accomplishment of the Son on the cross. Propitiation and reconciliation. Neither of these has any meaning in the abstract. Both of them pertain to an accomplished act with an intended object. In other words, neither of these have any meaning as a, as a possibility. One is either propitiated or is not. One is either reconciled or is not. It, it has that, that application that comes down to the personal and to the individual, whereas, of course, reconciliation involves two individuals. Nonetheless, it is concrete. It's not some idea, some possibility, but it is something that is accomplished. Propitiation, not a word that we use in our vocabulary very often, and I wouldn't recommend that we do. It's, um, it is a word that is uh, very full of meaning and of history. It's a word that has a broad understanding within it and accomplishment by God. It is tied to the same word in the Greek, that speaks of the mercy seat and of the shedding of the blood in the tabernacle where the sins of the nation of Israel were atoned by that shed blood of the sacrifice. Sacrifice and atonement, in fact, are bound up in the word 
propitiation. In fact, you might say that the word propitiation is a summary word. It's like a, a category within which we find the sacrifice and the atonement of the sacrifice on the altar. Of course, in the case of Golgotha, that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. Often theologians talk of Jesus' sacrifice as being an expiation. And sometimes you'll read his expiatory sacrifice, and sometimes, of course, theologians like to make large words to make things more complex rather than simple. But the two words expiatory and propitiatory have this to help us understand what it is that the blood of Jesus Christ does. Expiatory begins with that prefix ex, which means out or away. Propitiation begins with pro, which means for or on behalf of. The two words together give us two sides of the sacrifice on the altar in the Old Testament or of Jesus Christ on the cross, one being a taking away and the other being a giving to. He takes away the sin and the guilt that belong to the sinner and he gives to that sinner the righteousness of God in him. The sinlessness of Jesus Christ is, is, is manifest here in that he neither needed to take away sin for himself nor to give himself the righteousness of God. He had and knew no sin and from eternity has possessed the, e, the infinitude of God. Vine's Dictionary speaks of propitiation this way, the expiatory work of the cross is therefore the means whereby the barrier which sin interposes between God and man is broken down. The expiation is that act of God through Jesus Christ in his death that tears down the boundary of sin. But that's not enough. To have our sins forgiven is not the same as to be adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. To have our sins expiated leads to and is the foundation of our being propitiated. Expiation then is the act that results in propitiation. The taking away of the sin by God's eternal plan of redemption is that which leads to the giving of the righteousness of God. This is what Christ's blood does when we read here in Romans 3 that God displayed him publicly as a propitiation in his blood. R.C. Sproul writes, Expiation is the act that results in the change of God's disposition toward us. It is what Christ did on the cross. And the result of Christ's work of expiation is propitiation. God's anger is turned away by expiation and his favor is torn to in propitiation. He did it all in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We have expiation. We have propitiation. God's just anger is turned away from the sinner. But if these be contingent upon the sinner first believing, then it is not the blood of Christ that turns away God's wrath, but rather it's the faith of the sinner. The wall is torn down. The sin has been expiated. The favor of God has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, but under the Arminian conception, no one benefits from that. No single individual is by the act of the death of Jesus Christ expiated or propitiated until they themselves believe. Now this is, as we've talked about many times over the past weeks, this is to confuse the instrument of salvation with the cause. The cause of salvation is the grace of God through the death, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The instrument of that salvation as it is manifested in an individual sinner is in fact faith. But that faith is itself, as Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2, the gift of God. But these words, expiation, propitiation, and as we're going to see in a moment, reconciliation, are not simply possibilities. Paul is very clear. Propitiation is the effect of Christ's blood, not of man's faith. John Owen has this to say in his essay, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. For as in the Old Testament sacrifices... The life and blood of the sacrifice was accepted in the stead of the offerer who was to die for the breach of the law. So in this of Christ was his blood accepted as an atonement and propitiation for us, himself being priest, altar, and sacrifice. The sacrifice was brought on the altar of the Old Testament by a sinner, and it was accepted by God on behalf of that sinner in place of his guilt before a broken law. It was not simply poured out so that those who, who wanted to, those who were willing, those who had faith could come and benefit from it. No, each brought his own sacrifice, laid his hands on his own sacrifice, transferred his own guilt to that sacrifice, and the sinner himself, the offerer, was the one who slit the throat of the sacrifice. Tying that blood intimately to that person, to that sinner, a concrete application of God's grace, which was a type and shadow of what he intended to do with the perfect sacrifice, his holy son. The result of propitiation is reconciliation. And we're more familiar with that word. But this too is also the effect of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Through the death of his son, which is synonymous to the shedding of his blood, we have been reconciled to God. And I think this word 
is perhaps the most irrefutable evidence of definite atonement. Reconciliation either happens or it doesn't. It is the bringing together of two parties who are previously at enmity. Now the Arminian will claim that unbelief is a condition and not a sin. But we're told in Scripture that he who does not believe abides under the wrath of God. And God's wrath is not poured out upon a condition. It's poured out upon sin. Unbelief is sin. And our sin has made a separation between us and God. The holy God is offended. And it is not we who need to be reconciled to him, but rather him who needs to be reconciled to us. And this is what he sends his son to do, not as an abstract concept, but as a concrete act of grace and love. Jesus' blood reconciles us to the Father. Reconciliation, John Owen says, Who, for whomsoever he wrought reconciliation with God, in them doth he work reconciliation unto God. The idea that God who is offended is reconciled by the blood of his Son, that innocent blood, to all sinners, and yet none of them are brought into reconciliation with him unless they first believe, is not the representation of Scripture. Rather, what we see is Christ alone is the mediator. Sometimes we, we speak of that as the referee or the umpire. Literally, it's the one who places his hand upon two. The Greek word indicates a man who is in the middle, who has the authority, who has the right to bring about reconciliation, placing his hand upon the two parties who are at enmity and bringing them together. This is the work of our Savior Jesus Christ on Golgotha. He reconciles us to God by satisfying the just wrath of God, but he also reconciles us unto God, bringing us to God. The scripture says, I and the children thou hast given me. He brings to God. These are the things that are attributed to the efficacy of Christ's blood, not to man's faith. Nowhere, nowhere does it say that our faith brings about reconciliation, that our faith brings about propitiation or expiation or redemption or ransom. That's the blood of Christ. Only faith is tied to justification, not to these most important foundational principles that bring us into a right standing with God. Expiation, the removal of sin and guilt. Propitiation, the granting of righteousness and favor with God. Reconciliation, the friendship of God. These are not things that are made available to all, but effectual only to those who of their own free will believe. Rather, they are effectual to each and every sinner for whom they were intended. Again, there's no argument between the Calvinist and the Arminian 
that Jesus Christ did not have to pay for himself. The Arminian maintains as staunchly as the Calvinists that Jesus Christ was without sin and that he had no need to die for his own sin. He did not make reconciliation or propitiation for himself, for he was one with the Father and was without sin. And so there is agreement there with regard that the propitiation and the reconciliation were purchased by Christ that he might give them to others. They were done on behalf of others. The question, of course, between the two camps of evangelical Christianity is for whom did Christ purchase these wonderful gifts, propitiation and reconciliation? He purchased these on behalf of others, specific others, as the words themselves imply, those whom the Father had given him, he speaks of. Those, Paul says, who had been placed in him from before the foundation of the world. For these, known as the elect of God, and of no merit on their own, Christ's blood expiates, propitiates, Christ's blood reconciles and saves to the uttermost. Let us pray. Father, we desire to glory in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ and have no claim before you but the blood that was shed there. We bring no merit of our own and we know that we have none. And we know that we who, who by your grace have been granted salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ are not better than those who have not. And we earnestly pray, Father, that by your grace many would be brought into the kingdom. We long to see your churches full. We long to see the elect of God made known, made manifest. They are known to you from before the foundation of the world. They are known to us only by that profession whereby they call upon the name of the Lord. We ask, Father, that you would strengthen our faith in the knowledge that salvation is of the Lord and that it is by grace through faith and not by faith. You have rescued us in our weakness and despair and set us upon the strong rock. And that rock is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we gather and in whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction this evening from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.